Welcome to Choate's Life Sciences Insights, a podcast series hosted by our intellectual property, litigation, and corporate attorneys, covering trending topics at the intersection of science and law. I'm Mark McPherson. I'm a senior associate at Choate, and I'm here with Principal Greta Fales. And in this episode, which is part of a series that addresses a range of important issues to consider when conducting clinical trials, we'll discuss issues surrounding financial conflicts of interest in clinical trials. So Greta, when I hear the term financial conflict of interest used in the research or clinical trials context, it seems like a pretty straightforward concept and obviously something we want to avoid, uh, but I'm sure it's more complicated than that. So first, uh, can you tell me what exactly is a financial conflict of interest? Sure. So let's start by borrowing the National Institutes of Health's definition, because NIH is the nation's largest funder of medical research to the tune of almost $42 billion per year. And its definition is consistent with most other federal agencies, including FDA. So according to NIH, a financial conflict of interest exists when an investigator's significant financial interest could directly and significantly affect the design, conduct, or reporting of the research. So what are some of the ways that these financial interests can affect the design, conduct, or reporting? Or, or put another way, what are we concerned about? So improper conflicts of interest in federally funded and industry-sponsored research have long been of concern to bioethicists, various government agencies, and, and watchdog organizations, among others. Really, the concern is about bias. In particular, there are worries that financial conflicts of interest may affect the rights and welfare of human subjects, and that researchers will interpret vague or ambiguous data more favorably if they stand to benefit financially from reporting positive results. There are other concerns that, that researchers hoping to curry favor with corporate sponsors may say or do things they otherwise wouldn't in order to secure lucrative consultant agreements, grant monies, or prestigious publishing or speaking opportunities. There also can be scenarios in which a patented product is tested in clinical trials by the inventor who stands to gain financially if the product is proven safe and effective. The worry is that investigators may interpret data too generously or ignore eligibility or exclusion criteria in order to generate more favorable results or obtain more rapid FDA approval. But, but Mark, now that we've covered broadly what financial conflicts of interest are and some of the overall concerns, what can you tell us about how federal funding agencies regulate them? Sure. So unsurprisingly, the Department of Health and Human Services and some of its subsidiaries like NIH or FDA have established guidelines to promote objectivity in research and to help ensure that the design, conduct, and reporting of research is free from bias. To put simply, HHS regulations require that financial conflicts of interest be managed or eliminated. Most conflicts are managed through disclosure and independent review rather than through outright prohibition on specific conflicts. So how this works is that most federal programs require significant financial interest to be disclosed to the institution conducting the research, which in turn is responsible for identifying the conflicts of interest, managing them, which is particularly important when such interests aren't timely identified, and also for uh, ensuring compliance for funding subrecipients. And to that end, uh, every institution receiving HHS funding has to maintain an appropriate written policy on conflicts of interest and then make that available to the public along with uh, certain information about specific financial interests. Investigators also have to complete training on conflicts prior to engaging in public health service funded research and have to engage in retraining at least every four years. 
and it's the institution's responsibility to provide that training. All of this is to say that the regulations put the onus on the recipient institution to manage, reduce, or eliminate the conflict before a research study can begin. How do institutions and researchers know when a financial interest rises to the level of a conflict of interest? Yeah, so first, it's important to note that not all financial interests are prohibited. So, for example, researchers and universities are allowed to patent and license the intellectual property developed through federally funded research. But looking again at NIH as the example, because it provides so much funding, a financial conflict of interest exists when an investigator's significant financial interest could directly and significantly affect the design, conduct, or reporting of the research. So examples of that might include consulting fees, honoraria, paid authorship, equity interests like stock or stock options, IP rights and interests, and reimbursed or sponsored travel. I'll also note that the reimbursed or sponsored travel portion is often overlooked. Uh, that applies to travel sponsored by domestic or foreign corporations, foreign governments, foreign universities, and foreign research institutes. That all makes sense, but what financial interests are significant according to NIH? So NIH doesn't expressly define this in terms of dollars but often institutions will establish their own thresholds, something like compensation greater than $5,000 in the preceding 12 months or equity interest above $5,000, something like that. Who determines when a financial conflict of interest exists? It sounds like it's up to the institution. So you're right. Uh, the institution receiving the funding makes that determination. Uh, the researcher's role is simply to report any significant financial interests, uh, not to determine on their own whether they think the interest poses a conflict. When an institution believes that a conflict exists, they'll work with a researcher to implement the management plan, then report that plan to NIH. It's important to note that institutions may prohibit specific types of conflicts, even in situations when NIH might uh, permit the arrangement. What about the rules for FDA-regulated studies? So FDA has established specific thresholds for its regulated studies, and it requires reporting of any financial arrangement between the researcher and the sponsor that could influence the outcome of the study, any payment from the sponsor to the researcher over $25,000 of any kind, like for grants, equipment, consulting, or honoraria, any researcher ownership or other proprietary interest in the drug or device being tested, and a researcher's equity ownership interest in the sponsoring company, either over $50,000 if the sponsor is publicly traded, and at any level if the sponsor is a privately held company. What other regulations are out there? So there's too many to cover in depth, but I'll discuss two more frameworks. Uh, first, institutional review boards have a role in reviewing conflicts of interest that relate to human subjects research. HHS suggests that IRBs be advised of significant conflicts of interest so they can determine if a prospective research participants need to be informed. And specifically, HHS recommends that IRBs consider whether financial interests might adversely affect the rights and welfare of subjects and that the IRB work with the institution to determine at what levels potential conflicts should be managed or eliminated and also what procedures would be helpful in doing so and who should be educated regarding the financial conflicts of interest. And second, the Federal Sunshine Act also requires pharmaceutical and medical device manufacturers to report certain transfers of value made to physicians, other prescribers, and teaching hospitals. Uh, certain payments for research require annual disclosure through uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services open payment system. 
So based on what we've discussed so far, it's clear to me that federal funding is contingent upon complying with these conflict of interest related regulations, and also that FDA regulated studies also have strict requirements. So say, say there's a breakdown in reporting or managing one of these conflicts of interest. When it comes to FDA, what might happen to the research itself? So FDA's main goal is to ensure the safety and efficacy of the drugs, biologics, and devices under its review. And as we talked about earlier, financial conflicts of interest could introduce bias into studies and affect the reliability of the data submitted to FDA in support of an application. So because of this, FDA will scrutinize data to determine if appropriate steps have been taken to minimize any bias from financial conflicts of interest. And FDA may consider clinical studies and data inadequate if those steps have not been taken. For example, FDA may refuse to file any marketing application if the application doesn't contain the required financial disclosure information. And if FDA determines financial interests raise a serious question about the integrity of the data, it will take any action it deems necessary to ensure the reliability of the data. This could include initiating audits of the data, requesting that an applicant submit further analyses of data, uh, requiring the applicant to conduct independent studies to confirm results of questioned data, or even refusing to treat the study as providing any data that can be the basis for agency action. I also understand that sometimes the funding agencies or maybe even law enforcement might step in when a conflict of interest reporting or management problems arise. So what can you tell us about that in the context of falsifying data in particular? So there can be civil or criminal consequences stemming from a failure to report financial conflicts of interest. And in fact, in late 2019, DOJ identified fraudulent data in clinical trials for new drugs and medical devices as a topic of major concern. Submitting false data undermines the whole FDA approval process and could even endanger public health. And so DOJ has commented that those who enrich themselves while compromising public health in this way are committing serious crimes and they will be prosecuted. So this, this focus on fraudulent data has resulted in several prosecutions in the commercial context. But Mark, law enforcement is not just focused on falsely reported data. What other areas are prosecutors focused on? Yeah, in the past three years, there's been a real heightened focus on instances where conflicts of interest involving foreign governments or institutions have gone unreported, whether that be to the individual's home institution uh, or to the government. Congress and federal prosecutors have both expressed significant concern that federally funded researchers are transferring technology, IP, or capital to foreign countries and in particular to China. That said, it's worth repeating that potentially improper conflicts of interest are not limited to those involving foreign governments or corporations. They encompass any significant financial interest that could inappropriately affect the design, conduct, or reporting of the federally funded research. Can you give us a sense for how this heightened focus has played out? Are you aware of any specific enforcement trends? Sure. Uh, since 2018, investigations and prosecutions of US-based researchers have been on the rise. There have been accusations of intellectual property theft, receiving undisclosed foreign financial support, like salaries, grants, consulting fees, laboratories or equipment, or engaging in material undisclosed foreign collaborations. And to give you an idea of the scope, NIH has reported that it's identified more than 500 scientists of concern at over 90 institutions and involving more than 300 active awards. And of those scientists, 70% of them failed to disclose one foreign grant, 54% failed to disclose participation in a foreign talent program, 
and more than 100 were barred by NIH or their home institution from serving as a principal investigator or applying for new awards. Then in terms of prosecutions, our review of 22 reported federal cases shows some enforcement trends as well. So among other charges, those cases involved 64 counts of wire fraud, 22 false statement counts, eight charges related to failure to report foreign bank accounts or filing false tax returns, and six counts involving theft concerning program funds or trade secrets. So I'll wrap up uh, with one specific example involving the False Claims Act. Uh, so there's one case involving a research institution that entered into a $5.5 million civil settlement. So that settlement was related to claims that it submitted NIH grant applications for two researchers, which did not disclose their Chinese grant funding, including from China's Thousand Talents program. That settlement's based on allegations that the institution should have known about the Chinese funding and disclosed it to NIH, that the institution learned about the funding, but instead of confirming and disclosing it, it chose to remove references to the funding in a related press release, and also that the institution reported no overlap between NIH and foreign funding for those researchers without actually knowing if that statement was true. Wow, so interesting. Thanks so much for talking with me today, Mark. We covered a lot about financial conflicts of interest, including what they are, how they're regulated, and various enforcement trends. What should our listeners do if they have questions about any of this information or want to learn more? Yeah, they can reach out to any of us here at Choate, and we'd be more than happy to provide more detailed advice. For more information, please visit www.choate.com. You can also listen to additional podcast episodes in the newsroom of our website and subscribe to them wherever you listen to podcasts, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. The information presented in this recording is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice for a specific situation. If you wish to obtain legal advice, you should retain an attorney and explain the facts of your particular situation.